Well, hi everybody, it's Toby Miller here. Welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. I'm at the BFI South Bank with a new friend, Paul Ryan, who's very kindly, cons- when I say new, we met 20 minutes ago, but who very kindly consented this week to come into the pod. How are you, Paul? I'm fine, thanks, Toby. And this is a big day for you, isn't it? Yes. Um, Tell us about it. You're, you're in your suit uh, and tie. Well, um, I was fortunate enough to be chosen to um, be a student at the School for Social Entrepreneurs. And it's a, it's, a, it's a college that was set up by Michael Young, um, who is a, who's a politician. And uh, what they do is they train people, they, they, they take people in and they, they help people develop their ideas into self-sustaining social enterprises. Okay. So um, I applied and 200 other people applied. And they chose 20 wow. foundation course. And it was a nine-month course. Mm-hmm. Started in May, finished at the end of January. And just part-time, we go in a few days a, uh, a month and get advice on networking, on marketing, on, on, on things that you need to make a business work. Right. And speaking of businesses and things that are social enterprises, the reason we're here together today is that I was in a coffee shop the other day in London and I picked up a business card and it mentioned Cafe Art. And I thought, Cafe Art, that sounds like me, or it sounds interesting to me. And then I went to the website, and you very kindly agreed to come into the pod. Tell us a bit about Cafe Art, though. I'd love to hear some of your ex- other experience too, because it's very germane. Tell listeners, if you could, about Cafe Art. And I should say, there are listeners normally in 50 different countries. Okay. Uh, the majority will be in the United States, but there'll be, there are plenty in Canada, where I know you've lived. There are plenty in the UK and plenty in other parts of the world. So, you know, that's the sort of balance. Okay. Well, what Cafe Art is, um, what we do is we, we frame artwork that people who have been homeless, um, who go to, they go to art groups run by homeless organizations here in London. Right. And there are a lot of people who are affected by homelessness. Yeah. Homelessness here. Either they're currently homeless or they're living in shelters or they've just recently been rehoused. So all these different organizations run activities to get people back into life, you know, into participating in, and uh, whatever, in getting back into uh, a normal life. And one of the things that they do is they run art groups. And my business partner, Michael, um, what's volu- Michael's last name? Wong. Michael Wong. He was volunteering with Samangos, and Samangos is one of the largest organizations in the UK. And he would go along every week and he'd see them creating amazing paintings and drawings. And um, at the end of the week, they would, at the end of the session, they'd just be put away. And there wasn't any money to frame them. And even though these organizations, uh, you know, the organization had an annual exhibition to raise money, um, most of the artwork wasn't seen again. He had this idea, he was in a cafe, and he saw that the cafe didn't have any art on the walls. Cafe art. Yeah, so what he did was he just asked the artists, would they be happy if he found the frames? Would they, would they be happy for them to be hung in cafes around London? And they, they said Guess yes. what? And then he, he went to the cafe and they said yes, and then he went to more than 25 more cafes, independent cafes run by usually you know owner-operated, so you can get the people to say yes there and then. And they're probably and quite progressive, yeah. liberal, open-minded people. Well, there's a cross range. There's some there? greasy spoons down by King's Cross. Oh, great. Um, and then there's the sort of the latte ones with the yummy mummies up in Belsize Park. So you've got a cross-section of cafes. So you've got a cross-section of... Where people. is the yummy spoon and where is the greasy mummy? <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, so 
um, it worked that way, and also he, he just didn't stick with the one art group. Yeah. He went around to every single art group he could find, and now we've got more than 12 uh, you know, that we have connections with. Went to all the art groups and went to the people running them and said, this is what we're doing. And most people said yes. Um, so he got friends and family to help frame, and then later on IKEA um, have been donating the frames. So it's very they're cheaply framed. They look really good, and we just we just hang them in the cafes. And if they sell, the money goes a hundred percent to the artists. So that's a big part of it. Um, and so last year, about three thousand five hundred pounds worth of paintings yeah. were sold. Wow. Um, you know, some 20, 30, 40 pounds. Um, there's one woman who'd been to art school. She did a huge uh, canvas. She wanted 1,500 pounds and she got it from the, from, from the person, you know, the member of the public. Um, I met Michael after he'd started this and I told him what I'd been doing in Vancouver in Canada, which was a photography contest where we handed out uh, single-use recyclable cameras, or here in, in London, and commonly known as disposable, but actually, <laughs> I think I think uh, Fuji uh, actually recycle. Right. Uh, you know those single-use cameras. Single-use is nicer sounding yeah. than disposable, isn't it? Disposable. But yeah. So what we did in Vancouver, we did, we did that. We used to hand them out, develop the film, have an exhibition, and we created a calendar. Yeah. That was sold on the street, like the big issue, or like one of those street papers. Yeah homeless papers in, yeah. in, in North America. But in London, we, we did the same thing. We handed out 100 cameras at St. Paul's Cathedral last July. They had five days to take photos of my London. Oh. And uh, we gathered them in again, developed them, chose the calendar, and then in London, what we're doing is we're selling it in markets. So there's uh, we went to Camden Lock Market, we went to Spitalfields, yeah. um, uh, St. James's Church, and we, we, we tried them out. And the great thing about the markets is that there's um, we had major, amazing support from the, the people who run the markets, but also from uh, the people who are in the other stalls. Some guys are coming up and saying, I used to be homeless, and they're turning out to be amazing mentors for the people who are actually selling the calendar. Because the people who are selling the calendar have been homeless or are homeless. Um, and so it was a success. We printed 3,000 here and we sold out. Um, wow. Uh, in Vancouver, they sell 15,000 on the street. So our goal is to, to get up to that sort of level. And so that's essentially what we're doing. We've got the two things going on. We've got the cafes yeah. with the artwork and we've got the calendar, which is giving people work experience. It's absolutely Quite often the same people. You know. Okay, okay. And. What is the business model for the charity? Is it a charity? Yeah. Is it a it's it's actually a, um, it's a community it's a interest company. Community interest company. So it's a limited by guarantee. It's a, it's a regular company. We just we actually registered in November. Yeah. Um, because it's a community interest company, um, if we ever we, we can't sell it for a profit. If we ever decide we don't want to do it again anymore, and. If we do close it down, any of our assets have to be given to a charity or another community interest company. Um, so that's the structure. Um, we're, we're aiming to be self-sustaining. So the model is that um, we print the calendar, and then um, when we train people to sell it, um, we give them a first one to start them off, and then they, they sell it for £10. 
and then if they want to buy more, they buy them for five pounds and then sell for ten. Right. So last year, you know, they earned between October and December, they earned twelve thousand uh, pounds for the ones that were sold. Um, some of them were obviously sample ones for them, and some of them we've kept back to try and get sponsorship. So the other part of the funding is going to be sponsorship. We're going to be getting corporate sponsors to give us one or two thousand pounds a page, and we'll put their logo on the months. Um, and then also we'll probably apply for some 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 grants. But we're not relying on that. You know, with the economy the way it is, it's hard to get funding. So what we want to do is have a sustainable product that people uh, actually want to buy, and that's the calendar. Now, I want to come back much more to the art in a minute, but I'm interested in this model. I think it is very exciting. And I'm, I'm wondering whether, you know, the kind of people one goes to for paid sponsorship are developers. Or developers, major landlords, people like that. Or are they the last people you would go to as a homeless group? Yeah, I think it's a cross-section of people. Um, if I base it on and what's, what happened in, in Vancouver, where I was doing it, yeah. you'd have people who run cafes, maybe we'll get a cafe chain. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. We'll get a building society or a, or a um, credit union, you know, to... to uh, they're, they're one of the main sponsors in Vancouver is uh, Van City, which is one of the largest credit unions in, in Canada. Um, uh, we have all sorts of usually um, successful entrepreneurs who um, want to make a difference and they can see that they can make a difference to their local community. Yeah. These are the people we would approach. Yeah, nice. Now, in terms of the artists themselves, obviously they have at least two things in common. Uh, one, the experience of homelessness, and two, the talent and drive to make art. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd say about them as a group? Because you've got quite a lot of experience uh, for by now. Well, um, it's a diverse group of people. I mean, some of the people who have their work framed, they, they're not classically trained artists. Mm. Others are. So, uh, one of the, the great things about uh, when we were in the market in October, when we launched the calendar, we also had an exhibition at Spitalfields Market. So some artists who have been doing a lot of stuff but didn't have any confidence um, exhibited their work and sold quite a few of their paintings. And now the market are, are coming on board with us to, to give them a spot in the regular regular art market. So those guys, are, you know, hopefully this might turn into some legitimate yeah. employment. Yeah. Other people, it's really just giving them confidence um, for something that they, you know, they might have lost hope or confidence in, in everything. So actually to actually have something ex even just exhibited mm, in a cafe mm, mm. gives them a little bit of pride that helps them move on to the next level. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the, with the photography and the selling of the calendar. You know, I've had people who just said, look, I'm not going to be able to do it. And then next thing you know, they're selling and uh, you can see the difference straight away. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it, I know it works because I, I, I tested it out in Vancouver, so uh, that model anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the things that people share is lack of confidence. Yeah, from what I think. Saying. Well, people get knocked back. I mean, if, you, yeah. if they've been homeless for a long time or they've been unemployed, um, 
they lose their confidence. And so the main thing is giving people their self-esteem back, um, giving them a little bit of dignity. And I think that's a, a really important thing. It's, it's as important as, as earning any money. You know. I don't know whether it was a big thing in Britain or Canada, but in New York in the mid-90s, there was a phenomenon called outsider art. Yeah, I heard of that, yeah. And um, I'm not suggesting it's identical at all to what you're engaged in. It was a bit of a fetish, I mean, in that it took the work of untrained artists, yeah. formerly untrained, potentially very talented, but sold it in galleries as big-time art, and there was this moment when wealthy people were investing in it to a certain extent. And the idea had an interesting political edge to it, which is opening up galleries and opening up the idea of taste and aesthetics and quality. But it had another side to it that was a bit ghoulish. Yeah. Let's look at the other and yeah. see what the other comes up with. Well, um, do you know what, what I mean? Yeah, what we try to do is we're not trying to, to, to do it for the sake of buy this because this person's homeless. Yeah. I mean, really, we hope people would buy it because they like what they see. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that we've always had is a narrative alongside the stories, oh, so you? people can okay. actually read about the people yes. as well as see the paintings. Not so much in the in the cafes yet, because we don't want to um, uh, add too much, because it's not our cafe. But if we have an exhibition, mm. we'll try and have a story, and especially with the photography. So uh, we interview the photographer, and or maybe the subject, yeah. and then run it past them and, and ask them, is this the way you want to be represented? Because and isn't that one of the things for the homeless folks so often? No one would ask how you want to be represented. Yeah. They would just represent you, like I'm doing exactly. in this conversation. Exactly. Well, this is, I learned that from, in Vancouver we used to, um, we used to interview them and that would be it. We'd just put their story down thinking, oh yeah, we've interviewed them, that's okay. And then we realized that some people don't, you know, once you've said something, yeah, they wanted a bit more control. So, starting with the cafe art calendar, I, if anyone's in it, I'll, in, I'll, I'll bring them along or I'll go over and see them and get them to, to proofread it and look at it and, and maybe even change it completely. And, nice. and some people did. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so, Could so, you give an example of someone's story, not necessarily naming them? What would be a typical story, or is there no typical story? Well, there's no typical story, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there was a guy who was uh, who'd been a model, and he'd been modelling in London Fashion Week. He said, oh, London Fashion Week was here, and he said, I did the first one in 1989. And then he was working for a government department, and then he was made homeless. And he gave his story, um, and he was one of the people who actually edited, and he said, no, I want to change it a bit, and he did. So... Um, it was great to actually work alongside people yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and they could talk about how they wanted it to be. Also, people had to give approval for the, for the photos to go into the exhibition and into the calendar. Mm -hmm. They really don't want it in there. Especially if they're a subject, fine, you know, no problem. If they enter the photo contest, obviously, they sign a release form when they enter it. So, um, you know, most people are aware of the rules and I, I don't think anyone's yeah. pulled anything out. Yeah. And in terms of the themes of both the photography, I mean, you mentioned, you know, My London, and the other artworks, are there particular ways of seeing or topics that um, the cafe art seems accidentally perhaps to specialise in? Yeah. 
Well, in, when I was in when I when I when I was doing the uh, when I arrived in London last year, I was approached by a PhD student who'd actually just been to Vancouver, done a thesis on my old my old job, which is called Hope and Shadows, by the way. Hope and Shadows. Hope in Shadows. Hope in shadows. Yeah. So she said, she emailed me and said, oh, all these people said to contact you, I'm British, you know, I've just been to Vancouver. And I read her thesis. One of the suggestions was that in, in Vancouver, we used to always tell people to, to take photos of joyful or hopeful things because the idea was to challenge the stereotype of the media because the media would take photographs of people in the poorest part of Vancouver and they would show them as drug addicts or they would show them... Uh, in, in vulnerable positions. Poverty poor. Poverty, yeah. And we were trying to say there is a community here mm. and so we would tell people, take joyful photos. And one of his suggestions was maybe even that was too suggestive and that maybe we should actually just say take photographs and not say anything else. So when I gave out the rules this last year in, in London, I, I didn't say take joyful pictures, you know, uh, I, you know, I just said take photos of London, uh, and so the theme was my London, my life, um, and my friends and family. Mm. And some people say they don't have friends and family, but you know, sometimes their friends are their family, or sometimes they they do have family. So I kept it as neutral as I could to make it as open as possible. Yeah. Um, because if you try and give somebody a theme, you know, a lot of people won't stick to it anyway, and then you'll find some of the the, the best photos are not part of the theme. And, so, sure. yeah, sure. So that's how, how we did it last year. Understood. And with the paintings, are there... Paintings, I think, um, Michael's more in charge of, of, of organizing those. I think they are just really diverse mm. because, uh, you know, whatever anybody really wants to have hung in a cafe, they will give to him and he'll go around, he has a big folder and, and we also, I've done it too, we, we just bring them around in a folder that has these very light plastic frames from Ikea and it's really up to the cafe owner to choose what they want. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, some of them okay. say, put up whatever you want, but usually they, they'll say, yeah, I'll have that, that, that. Um, and then they go out for a while and then every few months we, we swap them around. So I think the themes are fairly much what the artist wants to do. Nice, nice. And in terms of keeping in touch with the artists, those who are still homeless or become homeless again, what's it like being able to say to, you know, knowing you can find them, to say, we've made a sale or we've moved yeah. your artwork to this well, other part um, of town? Usually we, we can keep in contact with people. It's the same with the people who sell the calendar. I was more in charge of the, the vendors and yep. and they were homeless themselves, some of them. Um, the, um, it's, it's been very tough for people who've been unemployed for a long time at the moment. The job centres are cutting people off just like that. If they miss a meeting, they're off for three months with no money. So I was actually uh, employing people who were actually sleeping on... One guy was just sleeping on buses. He sleeps rough on buses, at night buses. He had no money coming in. So, um, But almost everybody has access to email or, or even a, a cell phone, a mobile phone. Uh, you know... So it's easy to contact people usually by sending them a text. Um, and if, if, same with the paintings, if they sell, we'll just let them know. What we've been doing, because um, a way of actually, this is another aspect of Cafe Art. When somebody wants to buy a painting, uh, they can read about it 
in the cafe, there's a little thing on the corner of the painting, and it says, if you're interested in this, contact us. And then we'll ask the artist, well, how much do you want to sell it for? And they'll tell us, and then we'll get back to the buyer and say, I don't know, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. Do you want to meet the artist? So we always get the nice. opportunity to meet them. And so that was part of a way of actually connecting people, not just through the painting, but actually meeting the person who, who, who did it. And that's what we've been, and they usually meet in the cafe, and then they have coffee. And then they hand over the money and in the they hand over the money and the money goes straight to the, to oh, the artist. wonderful. So um, in the future, as a model, I don't know how sustainable that is, because if we get larger, we're going to find it yeah. harder, but we're going to sell more online. Uh, so, yeah, watch that space. You know, our website's going to be able to, we're going to be able to sell more online. And then that's easy to, to send them as well. While we're mentioning a website, perhaps you could just say the address for people. Yeah, it's um, uh, www.cafeart.org.uk. Cafeart.org.uk. Cafeart.org.uk. Yeah. We're also on Facebook, and uh, it's called Cafe Art for Homeless Artists on Facebook. But through the website, you can actually find the, the Facebook page. Facebook and we're on Twitter as well. It's interesting you mentioned that the way you connect with many of your artists and vendors yeah. and photographers is virtually, because in the United States at least, you know, I only moved here in December, the big way of connecting for homeless people, the big place for homeless people to gather is public libraries, right. uh, yeah, because yeah. they're warm, yeah. they're dry, and yeah. you can go online. Yeah. And it's, in the United States now, I don't know about Britain and Canada, it's almost impossible to apply for a job other than online, right. yes. apart from maybe a job in a cafe, yeah. but most jobs require that you do this. And so you see congregated in very large numbers all across the country, folks who are homeless, beavering away on computers in public libraries, yeah. sending out applications, looking yeah. for places to live and so on. Well, I think here, um, the, the day centers are pretty good, and they usually have computers as well. Okay. So you'll find people going along to them and flying there. I know that one of the biggest problems for one of the, the vendors of the calendar was that he was cut off from his welfare for three months. And he said, you know, there was a mistake. They said I'd been sanctioned and I haven't. And, and he said... What has been sanctioned? Sanctioned. Um, the person in the job centre had looked on the computer and said he'd been warned. He'd been warned for missing a meeting twice before. And he said, no, he hadn't. But he had missed one meeting. And they said, well, if you want to complain, you've got to contact Scotland or some, 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 you've got to phone up. And the big problem for most people, they need to make a phone call. It's really expensive to make phone calls. And, and, then and you wait online for the phone and Most of them won't have the credit. So that is the big, a big barrier is, is contact yeah. people through the telephone. Yeah. Um, I find anyway. From, from what people have told me, this is what that's they've told me. Now, in terms of other um, homeless organisations uh, and organisations that work with the homeless, are there some in particular that you guys are involved with, might get involved with? Where do you sit in the family? Well, we're independent of all the different charities, so there's a lot of different organisations that um, either have shelters or they run day centres. Um, and, and, and they're the ones who are the front line with people who have been affected by homelessness, who are, who are homeless now. What we're doing is um, connecting with all of them, but not trying to replicate what they do. So we're trying to add this 
this this social enterprise where you know people can actually earn a bit of money from what they from from their art. We don't want to replicate what they're doing, so we don't have an art group. Um, we're not trying. We don't have a day center. But we're trying to connect with them all separately. Yeah. So that's how we sort of connect. So we go along to their functions and stuff, and we we, we connect with people. Um, we tell people that we're going to be doing the photography contest, and then they come along. And and um, we also raise money for their art groups. Um, last year we raised four thousand pounds from the sale of the first calendar, the art calendar that we did. Um, and gave it to the art groups. We got vouchers for their art. And this year we're going to be doing a similar thing. From the sale of the photography calendar, um, we've got, we're getting some vouchers and we're going to be sponsoring people so that they can have market stalls. So these are like, these are like scholarships. Yeah. Um, so these people are from all the different organizations. Because um, we're very small. Yeah. It's a two-person outfit. It's a two-person two person thing. And we're only just starting to get going. You know, so well, that's why it's very exciting for me to get to know you and for you to come into the pod and talk to us because you're inventing it as you go along. Yeah, we are. With a lot of help, you know. The School for Social Entrepreneurs, which I'm, I told you I'm graduating today, I'm getting all the connections there. What I'm learning there is really the business skills of how to set it up in London. Um, the other thing was. Um, Gaining self-esteem. This, um, this is my speech. So I'm doing. <laughs> well, he's got to practice, yeah, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Paul has to give a three-minute speech as yeah. to all the graduates today. So this is his oh, run-through. Yeah. So go this, for it. Yeah. So what, I, what I'm going to say is, um, basically, there's there's a, the guy who set up the School for Social Entrepreneurs. This guy called Michael Young, and there's a quote on the wall that says, "Everybody has the capability to be remarkable," and that's just on the wall of the school. And I said, "Oh yeah, well." I'm going to start my speech with that. I'm going to say, Cafe Art is doing, trying to do the same thing. We're trying to get people who've been homeless, trying to show, the, you know, uh, show their talent so that yeah. they can actually be remarkable and actually get something from it. Um, and then I'll talk about the School for Social Entrepreneurs. It's great because I'm getting the business skills because we have to be self-sustaining. We can't rely on, on charity, on donations, just to keep going to do a, a good thing. This is why with the calendar, it has to make money, yeah. otherwise it's not going to survive. Um, the other thing was self-esteem. I've gained a lot because I've had a lot of connections with people. I've, we've had public speaking training, we've had, you know, con connecting with so many different organizations. Um, it's great to actually get that myself. And we try to instill that in the people who, uh, who, who are involved with Cafe Art, you know, people who have been homeless. Yeah. And then finally, I think, the final point, is going to be about um, or building a better society yeah. because um, we're trying to build a better society. So if people are actually able to work for themselves um, and get off welfare or whatever, um, that's actually helping the whole of society. And the School for Social Entrepreneurs is doing that like tenfold or twentyfold because there's twenty students. We're all doing these different things. And, and what they're doing is being manifested like it's rippling out to the, to the wider society. So at the end of the day, um, everybody, uh, anybody has the capability to be remarkable, but they also have now have the opportunity because they're going to come in contact with somebody uh, like ourselves who've had a bit more training right, to right. do it. So that's what, that's what I'm going to say. All, all 20 of us are graduating today and we're all giving a three-minute speech each. Right. So... It's quite, yeah. yeah. A bit nerve-wracking? Nerve-wracking, yeah. 
<laughs> well, you sort of heard it here first, listeners, even though by the time yeah. you hear it, he'll have said the real thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, can you go back a little bit to the Vancouver experience? Yeah. Because I think that would be of interest to listeners, particularly as we have quite a lot of people in Canada who tune into the podcast. Well, in, in Vancouver, there's an organization called Pivot Legal Society. And it's a, it's a group of young lawyers. Uh, it was founded about 12 years ago. And what they do is they um, take on laws that they think are wrong and challenge them in, in the court to try and change them. Mm -hmm. And if they win their case, um, it'll change the law across the province of British Columbia or the, the whole of Canada, depending on what the law is. So that it started off with policing, um, because there were a lot of things going on with the police in Vancouver and Aboriginal youth, and a lot of illegal stuff going on, and they could they could see what was going on. The, the founder, John Richardson, mm -hmm. saw a lot was, what was going on, and he, he set up Pivot. And then other issues they've taken on is housing. There's a lot of people living in substandard housing, a lot of homelessness. Um, uh, sex work is another one. Yeah. Um, support, and there's a lot of sex work. And uh, um, they've recently just had a, had a win. Um, one of the cases that they took on, uh, the law has now changed. So it's been decriminalized across the whole of Canada. So one of their fundraising things was um, to have this annual photography contest. Right in the neighborhood that they were based. And so, uh, you know, it was to raise awareness of the fact that there was a community there. The idea was that it would be this beautiful calendar, like an Ansel Adams calendar. It was black and white, and it was had the, the wiry binding at the top, and it was made of cardboard. And it was, the idea was that somebody on the street would see this homeless person holding this amazing calendar with these amazing photos, and it would be, it would take them back, you know, how could yes. they have created that? Um, and so, you know, it started in 2003, and I came in 2005, and um, over the years it evolved, and we added a narrative, we interviewed the people, and there was more of a story about the, who the photographer was, and who's in the photo, um, and now, it, um, when I left in, uh, two years ago, it was selling 15,000 copies a year on the street, and they sell for $20 there, so... That was bringing in three hundred thousand dollars. Hundred fifty thousand went straight to the vendors, and hundred fifty thousand to the charity. And on top of that, there was sponsorship. So, um, it's, there's other ways that Pivot raises money, but that's one of the ways that they raise money. And that was what you were invested in, what you were involved in. That was my job. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was doing their newsletter and their website as well. So, your you mentioned before we started recording that you're, in a sense, on the journalism side of things. Yeah. Is that right? Is that my background? That's your background. I trained as a journalist, and then I was working in marketing uh -huh. in New Zealand. Um, and I was, then I was working for a government department, the employment service. I did their newsletter and the communications in the 1990s. And then, um, then I came to London in 1997, mm -hmm. and I was working. I was a magazine editor for a, an educational magazine, Montessori Education. Uh -huh. So that was a quarterly magazine, and I did the website as well. Right. And then I went to Canada in 2004. Right, and that's when you got involved with Pivot. That's right. Yeah, no, thanks for the short bio, because I, one of the things I like to do is find out a little bit about the person, because yeah. it's often of interest to listeners, I think. Um, how did you get to be who you are? Do you know exactly. what I mean? How do I become Paul Ryan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but getting back to, to Cafe Art for the moment, imagine we're in 
a job interview, and I'm Mr. Cafe Art, and you're the interviewer, and you ask me, where do you see Cafe Art in five years? Yeah. <laughs> What's going to be the answer? Do you think it'll still be around? Will it be expanding? Will it be doing different things? Well, the goal is to make it, uh, obviously, the calendar sale project yeah. will, will grow. And when we get to a certain level, it'll actually be making a profit, and that money will be going back into it. Um, we're thinking about doing more across the UK um, in other cities, like Edinburgh. I was going to ask about other yeah. cities. So yeah. But we'll get, them, get the model in London right first. Yeah. Um, we want to expand on um, a few other areas. Uh, we're looking into art therapy. One of our uh, biggest volunteers mm -hmm. is an art therapist. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the idea is that with the art, the art side of things, looking more into helping people. You were saying, you know, what do people do and why do they do the paintings and what do they get out of it? We're trying to look a bit further into the art therapy because, um, you know, you can help people help themselves by by selling something, but there, there's a bit more to it than that. Now, I'm not an art therapist myself, but maybe if we were to be able to look into that. But, but that's down the road. You know, we, we're going to look to see how self-sustaining that is. Well, that might also articulate you to educational institutions That's right. uh, that offer art therapy classes yeah. or courses. You might be able to get volunteers as interns yeah. who are doing degrees in art therapy yeah. or in art therapy teaching. You might might be a good way to get schools or hospitals involved in terms of the kinds of places yeah. that employ those folks. Yeah. You know, and yeah have national networks, I'm sure. So yeah. that's very exciting, because I was wondering about art as therapy as yeah. part of this. Well, I mean, it's, it's quite evolved uh, already, mm. but um, just when you, you know, within the area of, of homelessness, you know, there, there is a potential to, yeah. to probably go further than people have already you know, developed it already. Sure, sure, sure. And in terms of the networks amongst the homeless folks themselves, the artists, yeah. are there interesting interconnections that you can perceive in the future between, for example, those who have had formal training and those who haven't, where there might be skill sharing or idea sharing both ways across those groups? I think when we're larger and we have our own office, it'll be easier to actually work out how to, to do that sort of connection. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I think the artists do meet each other anyway in the art groups. Do they? Oh, great. Um, because the, obviously there's quite a few different people in every art group. And so um, we, you know, we have connections with 12, I was telling you about, mm. and every one of them has a variety of different people who go along to them. So, so they have connections already. Although now that we are having combined exhibitions, they are coming along and they're meeting each other. They, they have That's already. exciting. What about uh, the materials people need to make their art? How does that work in the art groups? Well, they all have different ways of funding. Um, and I think I told you last year we were able to raise uh, £4,000 worth. Um, went along to an art supplier and asked them if they would give us more if we bought vouchers from them. And they did. They gave us 18% more. So uh, we, they were able to use the vouchers to buy more materials. Because um, we wanted to feel that we were actually making a difference with the art group rather than uh, just raising money for the head office and the money going somewhere else. This way we knew that it was going back to the art group. Yeah. And in terms of the definition of art, this is another question I had. 
Uh, we're sitting in front of a computer that's recording our words along with the BFI's music yeah. and the clattering in the kitchen. What about people who want to do art on computers? Yeah, um, that's a good point. Uh, I think it's pretty wild. You know, these, some of these, these groups um, have got amazing facilities. Um, they're doing photography, they're doing computer programming, um, and you name it, some of them are doing that. Um, at the moment, we haven't yet included that in what we, we're doing. We're keeping it very simple. Sure. Just the framing of basic paintings and putting them in cafes. But I can see in the future, yeah, there'd be potential for all sorts of different things, especially if you were to have an exhibition where you could have some sort of multimedia. Oh, absolutely. And I'm thinking of all those film companies, television companies, news agencies that pay money to the rights holders of urban photography. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing. That with the, with the, the photographs that we're actually building up an archive now, um, we'll be able to uh, look into that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Vancouver, we actually had a huge selection. And quite often, um, people would approach us and we would be able to, to sell the photos and then give the, the, the proceeds to the photographer. I think there was a TV program called The L Word, Yes, yeah, well, yeah the showtime in the yeah, US. They approached us and they, uh, they wanted, they had apparently had this lawyer, and she, she was from an advocacy organization, wherever it was based, yeah. LA. And uh, anyway, they, they, they used some of the photos that we, some of the other photos had taken. I think now, that was about a group of um, gay women, yeah. queer women. My memory is that, that there may have been a program here in the UK that that was then sold as a format. I'm not sure. And I think they were, it was one of those many TV shows and movies that are made in Canada yeah. with lots so and lots of public loot to attract you. like that, yeah. But, yeah. you know, you have to be careful. If you do use photographs, yeah. you need to get permission from um, the person who took it or the paintings. Yeah. Um, and I learned when I was in Vancouver once um, that somebody was doing a thesis um, and she wanted to to use some of the photos uh, for a PhD, and she was in Australia, and I thought, yeah, well, um, as long as you credit us, it should be no problem. Yeah. Next thing you know, she's put it online, and with the name of the photographer, credited, right. but then that photographer had an unusual name, and they Googled their name, and it came up with this thesis from Melbourne, Australia. And so, uh, I'm very aware of if you were to ever use the rights of the photographs. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, anybody who, um, who who has a painting uh, or, or if they have a photograph in the exhibition, if at any time they want to withdraw everything, yeah, and, and, unless it's actually been printed, um, they can do that. Sure, sure. No, and I mean, I think the, the trouble with a lot of the debate about intellectual property rights is that it's conducted on behalf of corporations, yeah. not on behalf of artists, and certainly not on behalf of homeless folks who in so many environments, and I don't know the British one really, but certainly in LA and New York, are at one level unvoiced and invisible, yeah. and at another level very, very visible, yeah. but not visible on their own terms. It gets back yeah. to that issue of being able to represent yourself, which you can defer into. This is exactly where I feel that you need to give people the right to um, you know, withdraw their consent if they want yeah. to, and sure. also to, to know how it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, just a couple more questions if I can, but I want you also to drop anything you, you want, Paul, because this is a, a very exciting development. 
you mentioned the economic crisis yeah. that we're in, and obviously you weren't here for much of it, but is there a sense of homelessness in London becoming a bigger problem amongst the, the folks that you speak to? Well, I think so. I don't think... The numbers are actually um, going up. It's hard to, to know how to count them because there's a lot of people who are sleeping, uh, you know, sofa surfing or couch surfing. And your um, colleague and who's on the bus. Yeah, he's on the bus. On the night bus. And, you know, uh, I couldn't believe his story. He, he used to be an IT worker for BT. And That's a, what used to be British Telecom, which is a telephone company. Yeah, and I and basically holds the rights to most of the pipes for the internet yeah. and the telephones. And he's he, he, an amazing guy, and he just survives. I don't know how he does it, but um, he seems to have slipped through the system. And um, you know, some organisations will say, you know, you come here and we'll help you, but yeah, I don't know too much about. I can't really. I can only say what he told me. But sure. he's surviving, sleeping on the buses, um, and there are a lot of other people who are sort of the hidden homeless. Um, I think it's got worse, and I think um, they've got austerity here, which means that they're cutting back. The government have said they need to get rid of the national debt, and they have a plan to cut uh, welfare, um, and they're only two thirds of the way through. So they've got to go another third, and they're fo focusing on. Um, unemployment benefit and housing benefits and so it's, I think it's only going to get worse um, because for example I think if you're under the age of 25 you can get the housing benefit at the moment but they're going to cut that um, some people don't have a connection with their family anymore for whatever reason um, and there's going to, there are going to be more people who are going to find it harder and harder to actually um, put a roof over their head and this self-esteem issue that you mentioned I wanted to ask you about lastly as well right how important is that? You've mentioned that for yourself in yes. terms of the course you, you're graduating yeah. from today. It's important in a sense for everybody, yeah. for each one of us. What is it do you think about making art yeah. that is helping these folks? I think it's the whole thing that people are... Well, they can express themselves for a start, but also the fact that they're actually doing something themselves. And if they can earn something that they've actually created... Um, or even display it, um, there's a good, great sense of pride that they've done it themselves. It's not just being handed to them. So I think a lot of people feel, even though I do believe in the welfare system, and I believe that people are uh, in a situation where they, um, they don't have anything, I believe they should be helped. But um, there is something about um, doing something for yourself and, 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 and you know, I think that's a good way of actually uh, letting people, you know, gain their, their, their pride back and their self-esteem. Such important words. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming to the pod with us. I wonder if I could extract a promise from you, which is provisional, don't yeah, worry, yeah. but maybe when the next calendar comes out or when you have another exhibit or something, maybe you'll come back into the pod, perhaps with a colleague or two, and we can do this again and talk about yeah, that. Yeah, Lovely. Thank you. Thank All you right. very Thanks, much. Toby.